Right? Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. Help us to understand your word and help us to receive what you would have us to receive today. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always be with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading. Thanks, Gary. Well, you just saw the liabilities of inviting a lot of feedback and participation. Uh, but we are, as I mentioned with the kids, we, um, we're going to spend the next several weeks, probably the next month, maybe five weeks, considering... Uh, the value of beauty, specifically beauty in God's kingdom. Uh, God tells us throughout scripture that his kingdom has certain values. And what's been striking me over the past year is that the values of the kingdom of God are often fundamentally opposed to the values of the world around us. They almost contradict one another. So for one example, if you were with us last fall, we spent a month considering uh, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom of limitless, like there is, no, there is no end to what God wants to offer us. But the world around us operates on a principle of scarcity. And, and, and we spent some time trying to reconcile, okay, what does it look like? If God says we're, we're living in, a, in his kingdom of abundance, and yet the world around us operates on the principle of scarcity, how do we make sense of that? Uh, today, we're kicking off this, this little series thinking about the value of beauty, that God tells us in Scripture that his kingdom is a beautiful kingdom. And in many ways, that contradicts the values of the world where uh, just in day-to-day life, we really tend to value things based on their utility, based on their usefulness. How much can we get out of them? And the, the broad question in all of these little series, we'll be doing a few of these later on, I think in the late spring, we'll consider uh, the value of patience. Uh, as opposed to being quick or busy. In all of these kind of kingdom value questions, we're really wrestling with the same question. That if God calls us to be citizens of his kingdom, yet living in the world, in this worldly kingdom, so to speak, how do we reconcile those? In a sense, it's an expansion on the Lord's Prayer. We pray every Sunday, and you just prayed this morning, if you prayed with us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it look like to live on earth as it is in heaven? If you want to get hyper-specific, what does it look like to pray in Portsmouth as it is in heaven? Or for my family, what does it look like to pray on Melbourne Street 
as it is in heaven. And you can fill in your street name or even your address if you'd like. What does that look like? We're thinking for the next few weeks about beauty and utility is the best word. That's kind of a wooden word, but I couldn't think of a, a better one. Efficiency maybe is another good one. Right? Those are things we value. We value getting things done, getting things done quickly, getting things done cheaply. I mean, how, how many times, anybody else or am I the only one, how often have you scrolled, you've been looking for something on Amazon, and you scroll through, you might spend five minutes to find the exact same product for five cents cheaper, which actually isn't efficient when you think about it, unless your time is only worth like 60 cents an hour. But, right, how, like we want to get as much as we can for as little as possible. We want things to be efficient. We want to get our use out of, we want our money's worth out of something. That's utility, or that's what I mean when I talk about utility. And yet God says, in my kingdom, I prize beauty. And you never, you never arrive at beauty inexpensively or efficiently or quickly. And God's kingdom, as we're going to see, does not arrive inexpensively or efficiently or quickly. Now, this is, a, this is a challenging topic for a number of reasons. One of the biggest reasons for me personally is that this is, this is a pretty right-brained idea, and I skew pretty heavily left-brained. And maybe some of you are like this, or like, are like me. So you want, you want things, if you're like me, you want things to be ordered and rational and logical, and you want to see clear connections from A to B and B to C and C to D, and therefore A leads to D, and you see it all, and you want, like me, a grand unified theory of everything that you can express in one catchy sentence. Like, we just want things to fit. If you're like me, this is going to be a really challenging series. Because I've had to, I've realized, I've had to, to change the way I even think about preparing a sermon series Usually, I, I try to think of every question and cover every base and explain, explain something comprehensively and make sure that we don't have any questions. I've, I've answered every question, and yet in some way, you see how that would defy a series on beauty. It's not to say there isn't truth and logic contained within beauty, but it's more. So as a, almost a note of confession as we start, I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blunder my way through this thing. And, and there will be times when I'm prepping and writing and maybe even preaching that I wonder, why did I choose this? But it's valuable. It's, it's good for us to stretch ourselves. I want to stretch myself, and I hope you'll let yourself be stretched as well. <coughs> Excuse me. I should mention, by the way, also, um, some of you will thrive. Some of you are, are right brain heavy. You are creative. You are expansive in the way that you think. Uh, these sermons in this series will fire every single synapse in your brain. Uh, to you, um, let this be a springboard, and please, like, I want to hear your thoughts. So as we're walking through these things over the next few weeks, please reach out to me. Pull me aside after the service or downstairs or call me or text me or email me. Um, I feel like I stand to learn a lot from some of you. So as the Spirit helps you to see connections, share, share those with me, because I think we can grow together. Now we're going to start thinking about beauty by considering this one little scene towards the end of Jesus' life. 
The reason I picked it is because this is the one time in all the Gospels, in all four Gospels, there is one event where Jesus explicitly calls something beautiful, and it's right here. Matthew tells the same story in Matthew 26, so you you could read about it twice, but Matthew and Mark are writing about the same instance. This is the one time that Jesus calls something beautiful. That ought to perk our ears up. That ought to get our attention. And let's just recap basically what's going on. Jesus is at a meal. It's only a couple of days. It depends on how you count, but somewhere between two and three days out from when he's going to be betrayed and then crucified. So Jesus knows this is the very end of his life. He's enjoying an unhurried dinner with a man named Simon the leper, and we're going to consider him more next week. And a woman who we never... I don't know what to make of this, but let me just point it out. We never learn her name. In fact, she's conspicuously unnamed. And even as Jesus describes what she has done, he doesn't say, you know, Susie has done a beautiful thing. He says, she, and this story will be told in memory of her. She's conspicuously unnamed and in the background. And she goes way over the top to show her devotion to Jesus. I mean, at a surface level, okay, she pours perfume on her head. And in ancient cultures, that can be a sign of hospitality. But one, it's not her house. So it's probably not her place to show that kind of hospitality. And it's a tough sell because she, well, one, she doesn't just pour perfume over Jesus' head. She pours a lot of perfume over Jesus' head. I don't know if you noticed this, but it says the bottle that the perfume was in, it was was an alabaster bottle or an alabaster jar Archaeologists have recovered these. They're kind of fat on the bottom and have a long, skinny neck. And it says she broke the jar and poured it over Jesus. This is like breaking. Did you ever have a piggy bank growing up? What happens when you want to get the money out? You break the piggy bank. This isn't one of the new ones with the little rubber stopper. That's cheating. This is the old school, like the real piggy bank. You break the piggy bank. And once you break it, there's no turning back. This woman breaks the jar and we can assume safely, I think, dumps the whole thing over Jesus' head. You ever smelled somebody who had too much perfume or too much cologne? Hopefully it smelled better than that. I don't really know. She breaks the jar. She uses up the whole thing. It's a lot of perfume. And it's not just a lot of perfume. It's nice perfume. We're going to deal more with the critics later on, but the critics around us tell us um, that it was expensive perfume. Mark says it was made of pure nard. And we don't really talk, I don't know if, I had to look up nard. Uh, Perfumers still use it. They call it spike nard today. It comes from a plant that grows in the Himalayan mountains, two to three miles above sea level. And right now you can get it in what is now uh, China and India and Tibet. Mount Everest in the Himalayas. So think, so just imagine with me, that's about 3,000 miles from Palestine where Jesus is, from Jerusalem. Think about the expense involved And somebody hiking two to three miles vertically, finding this plant, extracting the oil from this plant, somehow purifying it because it's pure nard, it's not watered down or diluted, and then shipping it 3,000 miles by foot because they didn't have UPS or air freight back then, by foot from the Himalayas to Jerusalem. If you need some reference, because I couldn't really make sense of this, imagine walking a bottle of perfume from Seattle to Miami. That's almost exactly the same distance. You understand that this was a very expensive bottle of perfume. So expensive, 
that the people around her say that this could have been sold for over a year's wages. Now, I'm not, I don't think you can exactly compare dollars and cents and cost of living and how much did eggs cost back then? Probably not $6 a dozen, but um, let's just assume that a, a basic, I mean, so there's a move, there's a, a, a move to set the federal minimum wage at $15 an hour. So let's, let's take that as a, a fair, reasonable year's wage. That would be a $30,000 bottle of perfume. In 2021, the median income, the median individual income for an individual in the U.S. was about $46,000 a year. So if, if now I, again, we don't know exactly how much that is, but I mean, if you want to be very, very, very conservative, you can say this is at least a $20,000 bottle of perfume, probably more. And the woman breaks the bottle and dumps the whole thing on Jesus' head. That's a lot of money. And maybe even as you're listening, you're thinking, this is where my mind went, man, what could I do with $20,000, $30,000 with that bottle of perfume? It may even strike you as wasteful. And if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, I think the same thing, like that's, that seems kind of like a way, I mean, I know it's Jesus and I'm supposed to, but... Really? And if, if that's how you, how you think, you're not the only one. There were a lot of other people around. Did you notice what they said? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. That's, let's not gloss over that question. That's a really good question. We might not even be able to fully resolve it in our minds. So just let yourself sit with it. Let the question bother you a little bit. If you could have given tens of thousands of dollars to the poor, then why pour that money out instead? And the more of a rational think you are, the more left-brained like me that you are, the less satisfying that you will find Jesus' answer. Because Jesus says what? He simply says, she's done a beautiful thing for me. She's done a beautiful thing for me. We're actually going to spend at least two and maybe three weeks considering this one scene. And next week, we're going to dig more into Jesus' response. So I won't give everything away, so to speak. Not that I actually have the answers. But, but just notice at this moment that Jesus is not so concerned with strict utility. What could we have done with this? How could we have gotten a good return on our investment with this money? Instead, he says, she's done a beautiful thing. You have the group of people around this woman. Some of them are Jesus' followers. Some of them are probably just people from the public who are interested in what Jesus has to say. They're interested in squeezing as much value as they can, and for a good purpose. Like, would anybody say that it's, it's a bad, it's an ignoble pursuit to feed the poor? And you could feed a lot of people for $20,000, $30,000, $40,000. You could feed a lot of people. That's a good thing. But Jesus isn't concerned with strict utility. He's concerned with something more. 
The utilitarian mindset says get as much as you can for as little as possible. Get the biggest possible return on investment. Get the most favorable cost-benefit analysis. But, but you never, if you think about it, you never arrive at beauty that way. Beauty never comes efficiently or quickly or cheaply. Uh, just a... I don't know if it was this week or last week, but I was um, in the morning. It was a slow morning. I was listening to Beethoven's Seventh just as I kind of got ready. I don't know if you like Beethoven's Seventh, in my opinion, best, symph- like just phenomenal piece of music. And especially the, seventh, the second movement, it gets really, really slow. And I started wondering, what if I had played Beethoven's Seventh, the second movement, at double speed? You know, like you're listening to a podcast and you play it at one and a half or two times speed to get through it quicker. What if I had done that it would have ruined the song. And then you start thinking about Beethoven himself. What if Beethoven realized, you know, the more symphonies I crank out, the more income I can make. And what if he just cranked out, instead of cranking out, cranking out, writing nine symphonies, he tried to write 90 over there just to get them. They wouldn't have been nearly as powerful. They wouldn't have been nearly as beautiful. See, at some level, we have a base understanding that there's got to be more to life than just strict utility. Like, we want, to, we want to live lives that pursue beauty and appreciate and enjoy and long for beauty. And yet there's something in us that says, yeah, but did you get everything you could out of that? We do want beauty. We do. Here's, here's how it, let me prove to you that you long for beauty and you appreciate beauty. Okay, Last month, December 2022, every major news outlet started reporting this tiny little story. I don't know if you caught it. But in December 2022, every major news outlet reported that the Los Angeles Department, uh, Los Angeles County Department of Animal Care and Control, did you hear this one? Issued their first ever unicorn husbandry license. Did you hear about this? Anybody? Nobody. One, two, yes. Okay, this is... This is brilliant. A six-year-old girl in Los Angeles County, California, named Madeline, Madeline, sent a handwritten letter to the L.A. County Department of Animal Care and Control, and they posted the letter on their Facebook page. They redacted her last name, which was good. But here's the letter, word for word. Dear L.A. County, I would like your approval if I can have a unicorn in my backyard, if I can find one. Please send me a letter in response, Madeline. How do you think they responded? I just told you how they responded, but it gets better. Listen, so on November 30th, the department sent Madeline a pre-approved unicorn license. Official, like little metal collar, the same kind of collar tag you put on your dog when you register your dog at the city. And they included a letter, excuse me. They included a letter along with the tag. And here's what the letter says, direct quote from the LA department's Uh, L.A. County Department of Animal Care and Control. It said that Madeline must give her pet unicorn certain uh, provisions. There are a few conditions to issuing this license. You must give your pet unicorn regular access to sunlight, moonbeams, and rainbows. You must feed your unicorn watermelon at least once a week. You must polish its horn at least once a month with a soft cloth. And here's, this is my favorite. This is how you know this is L.A. 
Uh, any sparkles or glitter used on the unicorn must be non-toxic and biodegradable <laughs> to ensure the unicorn's good health. And then lastly, because they said that unicorns are notoriously difficult to catch, they sent her a plush stuffed unicorn to keep her company until she could catch her own and keep in the backyard. And they put the tag around the plush unicorn. Now, who would argue that that's a beautiful story? Is there, here's, you probably won't raise your hand if you probably shouldn't raise your hand. Is there anybody who hears that story and gets upset? Because think about it, a government agency, taxpayer funded, spent their time and resources and energy on a non-essential function like something as absurd as a unicorn license. That is not what government is for, right? It's inefficient, it is wasteful, it is a waste of taxpayer dollars. Anybody, did anybody like honestly, don't admit it if you did, right? No, we, we love this, it's a beautiful story. It's heartwarming and we're so, we're happy for Madeline and we're frankly, we're just happy that there's some humanity in the LA, De, LA County Department of Animal Care and, right? The fact that we love the story and that our first response was not, what, a, what an absurd waste, tells us that we, we long for, in some part of our lives, we long for beauty. We long for humanity. We long for, for being humane in our interactions with one another. So why do we get trapped in a mindset so often that says, I have to get as much as I can out of this thing? I don't know the full answer. I'm, I'm asking this in some ways more to just plant seeds of doubt than to give you a resolved answer. Because remember, even as we approach all of Scripture, but especially this series, I'm not as much interested in mastering the text as I am in letting the text master us. What are we, what are we afraid of in a pursuit of beauty? I mean, if you consider a world that really is based on utility and utility alone, if you, if you truly and deeply pursue beauty, you become, well, at best, an irrelevant fool. That's, that's worth considering. Is that worth it? The woman sitting at Jesus' feet who wasted, in the words of all the, the other people around, that bottle of perfume, looked. she sure looked like at best, an irrelevant fool to everybody around her. Maybe not irrelevant, but certainly a fool. In fact, they got, they got angry at her. I don't know if you noticed, it says they, they rebuked her harshly. The word there, the Greek word that's used, is the same word that you use to describe a horse that's snarling while it's pulling a heavy load. Like this was a visceral Angry. This was not a polite, dignified, like whispering behind her back. This was over the top in its own way. Why is it that when we long for beauty on the one hand, we feel trapped by this utilitarian prison on the other? Yet there is something in us. There's something in us that longs for more beauty 
Even if it means inefficiency, and even if it means we're not getting as much, there's something in us that longs for a world with more unicorn licenses. There's something in us that longs for more art, for another Monet, or just to sit and soak in the one that's in front of you. There's something in us that longs for an unhurried dinner around the table with people that you love instead of having to get up and get on to the next thing immediately. There's something in us that longs for beauty, even if other people might consider it inefficient or wasteful or excessive or over the top. There's something in it, in us. There's something in the woman that longed for that, so much so that she was willing to endure that. As we close, let's just consider that maybe that's in us because it was put there in us by the God who made us. There's something about how God has made us and made everything around us that the more we appreciate beauty and pursue beauty, the more we honor the one who made us. Consider with me as we, as we start to, to wrap up. We don't, um, what the woman did was, like, it, it still kind of bothers me. And it might still kind of bother, like, that much, couldn't you have half and half? Couldn't you have done something with it? That's a lot of money. And by the way, if that bothers you, like, just let it, let it bother you. Let it sit with you and let the spirit work through that over the coming weeks. But consider that that's not the most wasteful or over-the-top or extravagant thing that happens in the scriptures. It's far from the most wasteful, extravagant, over-the-top thing that happens in the end of the gospel of Mark. See, we're reading from Mark 14. At the end of Mark 14, you have the Last Supper. And then the next chapter, Mark 15, you have Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion and death. I mean, in some sense, we shouldn't just wonder at the woman who, who did this thing that seems to defy logic. In some sense, I, I hope this makes us wonder more at what Jesus did for each of us on the cross. She gave a gift of, I don't know, twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars, maybe more. Jesus gave his life. You want to talk about something that that could look wasteful, that's over the top? Dare I say wasteful? We don't think it is, but it can feel that way if we're being honest. Excessive? Did he really have to? Couldn't, Couldn't he have found a better, more efficient, less painful way? Wasn't there another way that he could have destroyed the stranglehold that sin has over the world? I don't have a full answer to this, but let me offer just what little bit that I have. Remember that what looks wasteful to some is an expression of the deepest, most immeasurable love to others. Just like that woman broke that bottle and gave an incredible amount, and it looked wasteful to some, and yet Jesus understood that as an act of love. That Jesus Christ, God himself, when he came and gave his life for you and for me and for the whole world to make everything right again, it might look over the top. It might look too good to be true. And yet, is it possible that that's just the greatest expression of love? As Jesus says later on in 
well, not later, later sequentially in John 15, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You see that Jesus Christ would, would seemingly, by a worldly calculus, waste his life, that he would give it up, that he would act in such an over-the-top manner. It can only mean one thing, that his love, his love for you, his love for me, his love for the whole world. That means every person in the world, and that means everything in the world that he has created is, is so much greater and deeper than we can possibly Imagine his love for us is maybe our, our north star of beauty. That's the standard of beauty by which we measure everything else. Because he is love. Because he is love. Friends, Jesus Christ was willing to pay the greatest price to demonstrate the greatest act of beauty in history. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God. That's beauty. That's love. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, would you challenge us this morning and all of our lives? Not in an oppositional way. Be gentle. We need, we, be gentle. But would you challenge us with and by your beauty. Challenge us to become men and women who long for beauty, who pursue beauty, who live beautiful lives, which may mean that we're accused of being wasteful or excessive or over-the-top or inefficient or impractical. But with you as our standard of beauty, Would you pour out your grace so that we might live the most beautiful lives possible and bear witness to you in your beauty? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.